0: from Martin Luther, the reformer. And these are going to be in chronological order from, from when, when he wrote them down. And uh, there's a theme, so I'll, I'll go ahead and read these. The first is, whoever knows how to distinguish skillfully between the law and the gospel, by the grace of God, he also knows how to be a theologian. And the second Anybody who wishes to be a theologian must distinguish between law and gospel. And then finally, there is no man living on earth who knows how to distinguish between the law and the gospel. So, he was a great man, a great reformer, and, and brought the gospel to many people, but he noticed that it can be difficult to... to distinguish between the the law and the gospel. And the reality that I want to present to you this morning, and not because I'm smarter than Martin Luther or more well-read or anything, but because I have the benefit of a lot of people that have studied it very well in between his time and my time. um, You don't really want to make a distinguishing between the gospel... (coughs) And the law, you can, there's Moses' law, but what we want to do is say that the gospel is the law that we live by. Uh, The book of James, James calls it the law of liberty. So the gospel is the law that we live by. And our text this morning is in Micah 6. And before we go there, uh, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for this worship service. Lord, we we owe our everything to you, and yet we cannot pay because you have paid, Jesus paid for our salvation. And there's nothing that we can do to, to pay you back. And we acknowledge that, Lord. But we want to give our lives to you all the same. Because we love you. Because you've loved us first. And Lord, I pray that you would be with us this time. I pray that you would speak. And that we would listen. And hear and apply to our lives what you would have us to do. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So our text in in Micah 6. And I really want to focus on verse 8. But we'll start at the beginning of the chapter so we can get the context. That's one of the things that NBBI teaches is context. If you don't have the context, you might have a pretext. We want to avoid that. So Micah 6, verse 1 says, Hear now what the Lord says. Arise, plead your case before the mountains, and let the hills hear your voice. Hear, O you mountains, the Lord's complaint, and you strong foundations of the earth. For the Lord has a complaint against his people, and he will contend with Israel. O my people, what have I done to you, and how have I wearied you? Testify against me, for I brought you up from the land of Egypt. I redeemed you from the house of bondage, and I sent before you Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. O my people, Remember now what Balak, king of Moab, counseled, and what Balaam, the son of Beor, answered him, from Acacia Grove to Gilgal, that you may know the righteousness of the Lord. That's the end of the Lord speaking there. And this is the prophet speaking. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before the high God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old, Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, 10,000 rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has shown you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. So this first part of Micah 6 is really an indictment against the nation of Israel. Um, verses 1 and 2, God is introducing his complaint against Israel. He's saying, I have a complaint against you, Israel. In verse 3, he says, what, what is my fault? God is saying, what is my fault? Um, what can you accuse me of? Israel as a nation especially at this time from the time they left Egypt until this time at least was known for complaining. They they would complain. They complained in the wilderness. They complained they wanted a king. They complained about the king. They would complain. And, And God is saying, what do you have to complain about? Um, you parents probably can relate uh, but but what he did he brought his people out of Egypt and the magnitude of that is something that I don't think any of us can really enter into um, that's something that the Jewish people are still holding on to today is the Lord brought us out of Egypt and And that's something that that God reminds them over and over again throughout the Bible. I brought you out of Egypt. They were slaves. They were being worked to death. But he brought them out of Egypt because he loved them. He saw them and he loved them. And uh, I meant to mark this passage in my Bible, but verse 5, it talks about when God blessed his people in the face of their enemies. Um, No, I didn't mean to mark that in my Bible. Uh, And if you want to read that story, it's Numbers 22 to 24. And it is a very interesting story. Um, Just briefly, the king tries to hire a prophet to prophesy against Israel. And the prophet says sure, but I'm warning you, I can't prophesy anything but what God tells me to prophesy. And so the king persists and the prophet blesses Israel. And this this, this king is trying to fight Israel, but the prophet keeps blessing Israel. And it's just a, an interesting picture of God's sovereignty and uh, just of, of human thick I guess. Um, so that's God's indictment against his people. I have done nothing but good for you. And the prophet understands this and he laments. Uh, and, and his lamentation is essentially there's nothing that I can give the Lord to appease him. He's done He's done all this for me. He says, With what shall I come before the Lord? Burnt offerings? No. Thousands of rams? No. 10,000 rivers of oil? No. My firstborn son? No. Interesting bit of foreshadowing there. If you are familiar with the New Testament, which I hope you are. The prophet's firstborn son couldn't couldn't pay for his transgression. Uh, Nothing that he could do. But the answer, the solution, is in verse eight. Uh, He's shown you, O oh man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? But three things to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. And and what this Really, I could wrap that, those three things up into one thing, and that would be to live the gospel. So this, this verse has two parts. He's shown us what is good, and he requires something of us. So first, he's shown us what is good. Genesis uh, chapter 18 verse 19 teaches us Uh, It's describing Abraham. It's teaching us that the way of the Lord is to do righteousness and justice. In Deuteronomy 10, and we'll turn there, in Deuteronomy 10, Moses is recounting uh, when the Lord gave the second set of tablets uh, after he broke the first pair with the law. In verse 12, Deuteronomy 10, verse 12, Says, And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, and to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the commandments of the Lord and his statutes, which I command you today for your good. So, fear the Lord, walk in all his ways, and to love him, to serve him with your whole being and to keep his commandments and you might think well these are two conflicting lists but they're really not they, they are the same and, and we'll hopefully by the time I'm done we'll have a good understanding of that and in verse 18 of the same chapter it says he the Lord administers justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the stranger giving him food and clothing. This is God showing us what is good. And and further, in 1 Samuel 15 and 22, Samuel said, "Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed than the fat of rams. To heed is to better than the fat of rams. So God is saying goodness is to do righteousness and judgment, justice, to fear the Lord, to walk with him, to serve him, to love him, to keep his commandments, to administer justice for the fatherless and widow, to love the stranger, to obey him, going back to keeping his commandments. To obey is better than sacrifice. Um, I don't know if any of you parents have, which I think is almost everybody here, um, have ever gotten a gift from your child because... Maybe they they know they've done something wrong, or maybe they just want to be happy, make you happy. But then you ask them to do something later, and they, they don't. And you just want them to obey as a parent. You just want your children to obey. And the reason I want my children to obey is because I know that if they learn obedience now it will be a lot easier than learning it later and they need to learn to obey so they can obey the Lord as adults and serve Him <clears throat> but to obey is better than sacrifice and we see that again in Hosea 6 verse 6 it says for I desire mercy and not sacrifice and the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings <clears throat> Hosea 12 and verse 6 says, So you, by the help of your God, return. Observe mercy and justice and wait on your God continually. So still, God is showing us what is good. Observe mercy and justice and wait on your God continually. And then the last example I have of that, of what is good, there's obviously many examples in Isaiah 1, the Lord is, is again, making a complaint against his people against his people. He's describing the wickedness of Judah. And in verse 16 and 17, Isaiah 1, verse 16 and 17, he says, "Wash yourselves, make yourselves clean. put away the evil of your doings from before my eyes. Cease to do evil." Verse 17, learn to do good, seek justice, rebuke the oppressor, defend the fatherless, plead for the widow. These are things that God sees as good. He has shown us what is good, so we have no excuse. He showed Israel what is good, so they had no excuse. So we know what to do. We have it. We know what to do. But, the second half of this verse is, He requires something of us. God requires something of you. He required something of Israel. He requires something of me. He requires something of you. And it's three things. Uh, to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with the Lord our God. <clears throat> to do justice the word justice is closely associated with the word righteousness. Justice requires the application of faith. Romans 1 verse 17 says, it's quoting Habakkuk 2 verse 4, it says the just shall live by faith. So to do justice, you must live by faith. You must apply your faith. Um, In Matthew 1, verse 19, uh, we know the story. Uh, Joseph was engaged to Mary. He finds out that she's pregnant. It says he was a just man and he didn't want to make Mary a public example. And so he was going to privately divorce her. And and that is what the law prescribed. Um, he could have made her a public example and and the law would allow for that as well but he wanted to he wanted not to make a big deal about it but then the angel comes to joseph and says don't be afraid to take mary to be your wife Um, and it's it's not she was not unfaithful to you she's with child by the holy spirit I don't remember exactly how it goes, but, but he comforts Joseph and he tells him something and Joseph believes it. And, and so he changes what he's going to do based on what he believed. Uh, he applied faith in the message that he heard from God. Uh, that's, that's doing justice. Uh, finally, Romans 3.26 says God is just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. And for for everybody who ever lived the way to salvation is faith in Jesus. Now in the Old Testament they didn't know his name, but they knew that there was a savior coming and they had faith in him. Now We have the benefit of knowing his name. We have the benefit of having the New Testament. And God justifies the one who has faith in Jesus, who believes that Jesus is his only or her only hope of being righteous so that... Let me start over and just use myself. I believe that Jesus is my only hope to be righteous so that I can enter heaven and be with the Lord. And without him, forget it. My righteousness is nothing. I, I have no righteousness of myself. And we, we, I hope we all understand that. <clears throat> but when he says, what does the Lord require of you but to do justice? Justice. We need to apply our faith in Christ. The second thing we need to do to love mercy. Let's turn to Matthew 9. Matthew 9 and verse 10. Matthew 9 verse 10. Now it happened... As Jesus sat at the table in the house, that, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? When Jesus heard that, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician but those who are sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. He's quoting from Hosea 6.6. We already read that. For I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Uh, There's a danger for Christians to have the same attitude as these Pharisees. Uh, Why... Would anybody associate with that group of people? And pick your choice of people. Why would anybody associate with somebody who's maybe lower class, somebody who's homeless, somebody who publicly lives in sin, somebody who does anything? We like to judge people and and it's a shame because we're supposed to love mercy. So there's a danger for us to have that same attitude. Why would a Christian associate with that person? And we say it because we're thinking, oh, the Christian's in danger if they're associating with somebody like that, but Hopefully, the Christian is associating with that person because they're trying to share the love of Christ with them. And and that's loving mercy. To love mercy is to reach out to people that don't know the Lord, who are condemned, who are hell-bound, and to, to offer them the message of Jesus Christ, which is believe in Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Um, In Luke 10, verses 36 and 37, uh, this is the the story of the Good Samaritan. And uh, I'll turn there. So Luke 10... (coughs) Verse 36, again, we we know the story. Jesus, his his last sentence, he's telling the story, actually, because the lawyer is asking him, what does it mean to love your neighbor as yourself? And Jesus, his last sentence is, he, he goes through the story, which of these three, the Levite, the priest, or the Samaritan, do you think was neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? And the lawyer said, he who showed mercy on him. And Jesus said to him, go and do thou likewise. Our neighbor is anybody in need. Um, This man, this Samaritan, he loved mercy. Mercy. He exercised mercy. He saw someone in need, and the two people that ought to have been righteous did not love mercy, though they should have, because, again, back to the beginning, God brought their people out of Egypt. God showed mercy on them. They should love mercy and show it to others. But this Samaritan, he loved mercy. He showed mercy to the person who was left for dead. Finally, loving mercy. The cry to Jesus throughout the Gospels by many different people. I counted five times, and some of the times were repeated. So it's seven passages talk about five different times. Somebody or somebody's calling out to Jesus, have mercy. There were the blind men in Matthew 9. There was the Gentile woman on behalf of her daughter in Matthew 15. <clears throat> there was the man with the epileptic son in Matthew 17. There were blind, more blind men that are uh, in Matthew 20, Mark 10, and Luke 18. And then there were ten lepers in Luke 17. They would say, Jesus, have mercy on me, or Son of David, have mercy on me, or have mercy on us the cry to Jesus throughout the Gospels was, have mercy. And he did. He had mercy on these people. And so ought we to have mercy. Finally, the third thing we are required to do, the Lord requires of us to walk humbly with the Lord our God. And what does that mean? Well, you may have... Figured out by now, my style is to just go to passages that that maybe make this a little bit clearer. In 1 John 2 verses 5 and 6, it says, "But whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this we know that we are in him. He who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk, just as he Jesus walked." So to walk humbly with the Lord our God, we, we take the example of Jesus. We, we live like He did as much as we can, and that involves showing mercy. It involves walking uprightly, not um, not getting into things that we shouldn't um, And when I say that, I obviously am not trying to contradict myself, not not getting into things he shouldn't. He associated with the downtrodden, with sinners, because he was trying to lift them out of that. Uh, What I mean is not getting into sin himself. Uh, He never sinned. And we ought to, as much as we can, avoid sin. (coughs) I think of the illustration of a boat that floats on the water, and that's, that's right, it should. But if the water starts getting into the boat, that's a problem. So if we are boats and we're floating on the sea of the world, we don't want any of the world to get in us. We want to keep that out. But it's, it's right that we should be in the world but keep the world out of us. 2 Corinthians 4.2 says, We have renounced the hidden things of shame, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully. Walking not in craftiness, not deceitfully, not hiding shameful things. walking humbly with the Lord. Romans 13, and verses 13 and 14. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. Again, walking with the Lord means that We're not afraid of the light because the light shines and shows proper walking. We walk in the dark if we're hiding something. And when it says make no provision for the flesh it means cut whatever it is out of your life that is causing an issue. Don't make any provision. Don't make any Don't let it be in you, or near you, or around you. Get it out of there. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 7. Again, talking about walking. It says, we walk by faith and not by sight. And if we didn't have that verse... All the previous verses that I've gone through sound like we have to, um, we have to be really amazing people to, to be doing all this. Um, but the key to walking with the Lord is walking by faith. We can't see everything that's coming at us, um, but the Lord can. So we trust Him with our walk we trust him with what's next we trust him when we're tempted to do evil similarly Galatians 5 verse 16 walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh the desires of the flesh Every message I give it seems like comes back to this verse um, and I, I've preached maybe six or seven other places or other times in other places, but I, that verse shows up again and again, and maybe it's because the Lord is talking to me and, and wants me to get this down but but our walk is with the Holy Spirit, and it's only with him that we can avoid fulfilling the lust of the flesh. The ESV says gratifying the desires of the flesh. It's only by walking in the spirit <clears throat> and to walk in the spirit it means that you submit to him. To walk in the spirit you submit to Him. And that's, that's all it is. You submit to the will of God. That's walking in the Spirit. And you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. Ephesians 2 verse 10. Uh, we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Would this is rhetorical, but would you agree that Jesus Christ did good works? I I think so. Um, But now, now we as a new creation, um, Second Corinthians five seventeen. But we're we're a new creation. We're His workmanship. When we're born again, we're created to do good works. And God has laid out the path. We can't see it all, but he, He's got, the, got each one of our lives planned out, full of good works that we will do if we're submitted to Him, if we're walking in the Spirit. In Ephesians 5.2, walk in love as Christ also has loved us. And given himself for us. But you think about how the way that Christ loved us. We can go back to John 3.16. God loved the world in this way. God so loved the world. God in this way loved the world. He gave his only begotten son. And we understand the Trinity, what one member of the Trinity does, all three do. So not only the Father gave his Son, but Christ gave himself, and the Holy Spirit gave. So God, in his Trinity, gave Christ for us. And when we look at that standard of love, now we obviously will fall way short of that every time, but that's our standard that we that we strive for—to love like Jesus loved, to be willing to give ourselves, to just pour ourselves into other people. Uh, I think of some of the missionaries that are, are famous now. I guess um, like uh, Hudson Taylor. Uh, who, who is a missionary to China. And, and he, people sometimes criticize him for, um, like he, his, his, he had, I think, two daughters, who he had in boarding school in England. He was English, but he went to China. Um, and his wife was was not always able to be with him on the mission field um, but what he was doing is just pouring himself out pouring his life out in service to Christ um, that's as close to, to the example of, of Jesus there as, as I can think of um, and I'm not suggesting that any of you split up your families but but if that was God's will for him and and, and we, we can't know for sure what what was right but but God used him greatly and millions of Chinese people I believe were saved because of the work that he pioneered um, and it, and ultimately of course they were saved because of the ministry of the Holy Spirit because of Jesus on the cross. But God uses people that are willing to pour their lives out for him. And finally, James 4, verse 6. God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. And verse 7, therefore submit God. First uh, Peter 5 and 5 verses 5 to 6 says something similar and they're both essentially quoting Proverbs 3 and verse 34. But God resists the proud, so to walk humbly with the Lord our God, you can't be proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So those who are walking humbly with the Lord our God, he gives grace to and the in what it means to walk humbly with the Lord our God is to submit to him. We walk in submission to the Lord's will for our lives. All of these things required to live the gospel, to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God, all of these things are impossible to do without faith because the gospel is understood and believed and received by faith we know Hebrews 11 6 without faith it is impossible to please him for he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him we're saved by faith we receive the Holy Spirit by faith He directs us in our faith. And again, this is all only possible by faith. We need to submit to Him, submit to His will by faith. We have to love mercy and show it to our neighbors of all kinds. To to people that are unsavory to people that are attacking Christianity whether overtly or underhandedly or intentionally or unintentionally we need to love mercy and show mercy to those people because again they are bound for hell that 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 fact is unescapable people without Jesus are bound for hell and we need to be merciful and show them mercy and tell them what they need to hear that Jesus died for them so they could be saved from hell so they could be with him for eternity and finally we must walk humbly in the Spirit of God, again, submitting to Him. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You that You've shown us what's good and that You've laid out the things that You require of us as we seek to live out our salvation seek to live out the gospel Lord I pray that you would uh, make these things a reality in my life and in the lives of others here I pray that we'd be willing to submit to you to get rid of uh, the desires of our flesh and to submit ourselves to your will. You have our lives planned out. You have good works for us to do. And I pray that we would do them because we're submitted to you. Do them walking in the Holy Spirit. And Lord, I pray that you'd be with us this week. I pray for those who are grieving, those who are sick and need your healing touch. Lord, just be with us. I pray in Jesus' name.